everybody, it's Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And Sarah, again, try not to say that three times quickly. It's very, very difficult. My special guest for today is Sarah Larby. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic here in chilly old Kamloops. How are things in your neck of the woods? Where are you calling in from? From Toronto. Well, actually, Oakville, which is about 20 minutes. But I just came from Hamilton. I was looking at a house, and there's some freezing rain, so I, like, I just made it with a few minutes to spare before our podcast. <laughs> glad, glad we got together today. So if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Sarah or hearing Sarah on her podcast or watching Sarah on stage, uh, she's a very, very astute real estate entrepreneur. She built up a significant real estate investing portfolio while working full-time. And I believe you got a bunch of properties under your belt before you even hit 30. Is that correct, Sarah? Yeah. So I'm 34 right now and about to be buying number 10. Nice. Congratulations. So Sarah is very, very experienced at real estate investing. She's also one of the founders of You guys have changed the name a few times, but the right club. Club. Yes. In Burlington, fantastic club celebrating their second year as of right now. And you've got your own podcast and you're coaching and training people and doing all sorts of stuff. It's pretty amazing how you get all this stuff accomplished. So welcome to this episode. So congratulations as well on your podcast. I'm so excited that you're launching it. Well, you know, you were one of the inspirations for doing this. So thank you very much. And we're going to start the countdown now, Sarah. So why don't you get us started telling us about how you got interested and involved in real estate investing in the first place. I remember going to the bank with Matt, my spouse, and we literally had nothing. We met with a financial advisor and she wanted to do a financial analysis, whatever they do to let you know what your net worth is. And it was our first time doing that. We had worked for a couple of years. And literally, we thought our cars were our assets and we had nothing. And so it was actually quite embarrassing for me. I went home and started to Google literally how to get rich and how to become wealthy and how to become a millionaire. And I became obsessed (laughs) because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got the one life to live. And, you know, after that, unfortunately, that's it. So I really believe that I have bigger and better things that I could do. And I did back then as well. And real estate kept coming back over and over. And then it took me a couple of years to convince Matt to also get into the game because he was petrified of having a bad tenant. And so we started with his sister and that's how we got started. Was she a bad tenant? I will refrain from any comments. I don't think she was horrible, but <laughs> let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it got us in the game. <laughs> I couldn't resist that question because sometimes working with family is absolutely the worst. That's interesting. I didn't know that, Sarah. So you started out with that spark. You got your first property. You got a tenant into it. You've probably done a few different things. What do you focus on? What's your main real estate investing strategy? Yeah, I think it's changed as we got a little bit more experience. But originally, it was tenant first, buy and hold to appease my boyfriend. You know, there's a lot of people that do rent to own. I prefer to hold on personally to my properties for the long haul. But because Matt was so petrified of having a bad tenant, I ended up actually finding the tenants prior to our houses. After number four and five, it became, became a little harder. And so we decided to buy the house and then just ask for the four showings and close with the tenant already moving in within a couple of days. So that was originally the strategy. 
as things you know became a little bit harder to find the deals that were really under market and there's a lot of people that started looking in the Brantford area which is where I invest prices got higher so we started doing the burr and that's how we actually scaled so, up so what what does burr mean just for those folks that might not be familiar with it yeah absolutely so buy is the first b R stands for reno or rehab. The other R stands for rent and then refinance. And most important is you repeat. And it just allows you to, you know, save for the first one or two properties, but then you're able to reuse some of that down payment money to buy your next properties. Essentially, it's like a flip and hold. Very, very smart. And why do you like that strategy better than what you were doing before? Or, I mean, you've been around the business for a long time now. Why do you prefer that strategy versus anything else? I mean, there's like your nest egg strategy and then there's your like faster cash strategy and it's kind of a combination of both. I can pull out some cash, I can reuse my money and I still have the cash flow and the long-term mortgage pay down and all of that good stuff that you get with it. And so it really is to me the best of both worlds. It's probably my favorite strategy by far. And also you're not paying taxes, you're deferring them. I mean, you're going to pay them all at some point when you sell, but you know, flipping a property and selling it, well there's taxes involved in a burr <laughs> allows me to pull this money out and repeat cash deferred or tax deferred rather. That's really, that's really a good point because I know flipping is so popular because of all of the TV shows and whatnot that make it look sexy, but it's a hell of a lot of work and it's very, very risky. And like you say, it's basically a job because as soon as you're one, done one deal, you got to find the replacement. So what you're doing is you're kind of doing the same idea as a flip, but instead of selling it, you hold on to it, you rent it, you get your money out and you go do another one and, and you build up your wealth and your cash flow as you go along. Absolutely. You really get the best of both worlds. Because to me, to build long-term wealth, you've got to hold on to properties long-term. That's just my opinion. Again, everyone's got their different ways of doing it. But for me, I'm looking at replacing my income. And so I've got to hold on to the properties. I've got to make sure that they cash flow. And when you're doing the burr as well, just as a tip, just make sure that you calculate all your numbers. Make sure that you understand what the ARV is, the after repair value, because you're going to need to know how much money you're going to be pulling out at the end of it. And of course, there's always extra time that gets added on or extra expenses, but the calculations are important. I would say there's a little bit more room for error than flipping, but they're still very important. And I would say, you know, if you're not looking at saving for every single property or you're not wanting to JV or do a rent to own, like to me, it is a no brainer to not have to reuse my money. I can reuse the bank's money at the game. Yeah, well, that's very, very smart. Knowing what you know now, if you were going to rewind a few years, if you're starting all over again, what, if anything, would you do differently? Number one, get a mortgage broker. <laughs> that would be my number one thing. So I had, so by the time I had found her, I was already three in and she had to untangle the original mess. And it's so important because I originally went to the bank, the bank that I was working with. And so, you know, for a first rental, it wasn't a big deal. Second rental, they wanted like 25% down. The third rental, they were asking for 35 and the terms were just not as good. I thought that's just normal and there's no one really working with you, right? It's like a different person every single time. They're working for themselves, they're working for the bank. And so I met my mortgage broker and they actually look at your goals. They actually figure out like what you're looking for, what, what, whether it's a certain amount of income and they work backwards and they actually strategize a whole plan because I didn't even know that there were trust companies. I didn't even know that there was credit unions. They're like, you know, there's so many banks and so many types of lenders and even private money that they have access to that you can really structure your, your steps properly so that you don't hit that financing wall. Because 
I have 10 properties I'm still self-financing. And it's because I'm working with a mortgage broker that is able to help with that piece. And you're able to recycle your down payment. So that makes it a, a lot easier. That's for sure. That's great. Mm -hmm. Sarah, I know that you recently started working with people because they've, you know, you're part of the, the real estate club there and, and people see the success that you've had and they probably, probably got into it because people are asking you how the heck you're doing what you're doing. So now that you've you know, been around so many real estate investors of different levels and experience levels and whatnot, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when it comes to real estate investing? You touched on one, which is not having a good mortgage broker. What, what else would there be? Sometimes people just care about getting the deals and getting the next deals and they don't take the time to really analyze, like, does this deal match their portfolio? Because to me, yes, I, I like real estate, but I love the lifestyle that it's going to be that it has created for me and that it's going to continue to create for me. And so I think it's, you know, sometimes people just get so involved in like, I just got to get the next deal and the next deal that they don't really see how that fits into their overall goal and their overall plan. And it could be a, you know, just a house that they buy and they're speculating or, you know, they're not like fitting it properly into their portfolio. So I would say that's number one. Number two, I've seen people have like a couple of houses in like, Milton and a couple of houses in like Peterborough and then a house in like Niagara, you have to set up a whole team, like a whole new team of every, you know, everybody, <laughs> your realtor, your handyman, your plumbers, etc. It's just easier to try to find like one or two areas and just really focus on that geographic area. Good points. Very, very good advice. All right. Now that you've started helping people out directly, what, what would you consider to be your, unfair advantage or your real estate investing superpower what do you bring to the table that's kind of i mean i think part of there's a, maybe a, a, a misconception that investors are all old older older i should say <laughs> and men and so you know there's investors of all ages women and men and i think my unfair advantage is i am doing this at a young age and i am a woman and you don't see as many and so it's nice to, to represent. And so I think if I'd have to pick an unfair advantage, I think that's probably, you know, the first thing that I can come to mind. But unless what, there's... What about a skill set? The, the skill set, I would say. This could be a flaw, like a bad thing too. But what I think got me here today, I do ready, fire, aim instead of ready, aim, and then fire. And I just go and take action. I learn and I take action. And I think that is the biggest piece is that ability to just you know, get out of my comfort zone. Don't let like analysis paralysis hold me back and just go ahead and pull the trigger and just get things done. And I think you learn so much more from actually doing it live and from those mistakes. And so I would say being able to learn enough and then kick action and then keep learning from those mistakes over time has definitely helped. Makes sense. So when it comes to your coaching and your training, what's kind of your sweet spot for your ideal client in case people are looking to reach out. So for example, for me, I'm looking for the real estate investor that's got two or three deals under their belt. They've run out of cash and or credit to do more. They need to start working with other people's money, but they don't know how. That's kind mm -hmm. of my perfect client. What your ideal client, what's the big problem that they tend to have? Yeah. So I really like to work with, I like to work with everyone, but the, the ones that I feel like we have the most connection with is the ones that have full-time jobs. Like I have a full-time job. 
I travel a lot for my job. And they're like, well, how do you have this many properties and you also have a full-time job? Like, how are you doing it? And so when somebody wants to get started or they have one or two and they're looking at scaling to nine, 10, et cetera, plus, and they have a full-time job, I built some really good processes, procedures, ways to screen tenants, just different things that you could do to not make it a whole other full-time job. I mean, I spend two, three hours a month on my portfolio right now because I've set up a lot, you know, in the beginning. (laughs) And if I can share that with people that that still want to work full-time, because to be honest, when you've got a job, you got access to credit and some of the best terms. And so don't, you know, go out there and quit too early because it becomes a little bit harder and then you really have to work potentially with private money and different things like that. But, you know, you can definitely get some under your belt. Again, not to say if you don't, if you don't have a job, you can't do it, but it just becomes a lot easier. That's very, very top of mind for a lot of people. I mean, that's a huge excuse. Well, I would invest in real estate, but I work full time. I've got a family, I've got this, I've got that, blah, blah, blah. You found a way to kind of make it all work and systematize things. So without giving away the farm, what would you suggest would be one actionable thing people could do to to be able to juggle real estate investing with a full-time job? Yeah, I mean, definitely setting up your power team. So everybody on your team ideally is an investor, investor investor-focused and know one another so that there's a lot of stuff that can go on behind the scenes. Like if I buy a property, I'll send an email out to my mortgage broker, my realtor, obviously my accountant, you know, everybody that's involved so that they can all work behind the scenes together. And then I just come and show up and give them the big check. Example number one. Number two, I think really thoroughly doing a good job at screening tenants prior and and spending more time doing that in the beginning so that you can have the best tenant for the property is huge, right? There's a lot of people like like that that hear the stories of this tenant, you know, that from hell. And of course you can get some better ones than others, but like I actually have a a five-step process that everybody goes through. The tenants don't even know that they're at step three when they go actually see the house. And so just really screening out the potential bad ones has been huge for us. Is there like one little rule of thumb that you have about a prospective tenant? Like I've heard people say they like to take a look inside the tenant's current dwelling or their current house to kind of see how they, how tidy they are or not. Do you have any kind of little rule of thumb that you use that you can share? Yeah. I mean, there's so many steps. I would say, you know, like the first step is even so on Kijiji or Craigslist, Kijiji is what we use. There's like three specific questions. If they don't even answer those questions, they are screened out right away. You cannot take instructions from reading the end of the ad. You can't come. But you know what? So there's there's different tips for every single process. But I would say one of them that a lot of people don't do is one of the biggest things is find a local paralegal who's in the courtroom all day long before you hand over the keys as part of like, you know, one of your last steps. So this would be part of step number four for me is I say, are these people and these people like in your book? Because you're in the courtroom, have you heard of them? And so the answer should be no, but it's just that extra little check that a lot of people forget to do and everything else could see, be okay, but all of a sudden they've been in the courtroom and I don't care what the reason is, they've been in the courtroom, they can't come in my property. Wow, that's smart. That's the first time I've heard that tip, so thank you very much. That's a good one, that's a good one, that's for sure. <laughs> so um, we got just a couple of minutes left here, Sarah. So. If people are interested in finding out more about you and what you do, what would you like them to do? What should they do? Yeah, so they can go to my website, Sarah Larby. So it's S-A-R-A-H, 
L-A-R-B-I.com. And they can go on the contact me page. There is my website information for my podcast. There's the coaching. There's everything on there. And uh, they can reach out to me that way. I'm also on Instagram, which is Investor Sarah Larby. And you have like any kind of a freebie that you can offer people to have them go take a look at your site? Do you have? Uh, yeah. So on the website, there's uh, ten tips for tenant screening. It's not the full like five steps because that is like a whole book. Yeah, <laughs> but there's there's ten quick tips for tenant screenings that they can go and download. And then the other thing is, if there's anyone in the GTA or anybody that's listening to Dave's podcast that would like to come out to the Right Club and you have not been out there then if this is going to be your first time, send me a, an email, sarah at sarahlarby.com, and we will add you as Dave Dubose guest for one of your events, your first events. Well, thank you very much. And I highly recommend uh, your real estate investing club, everybody that I meet that's in and around Toronto, for sure. Uh, you guys do a, a top-notch job with your real estate investing club. So thank you. that's off to you for that. And in our last about 50 seconds, so Sarah, you're very young lady, but you got a lot of real estate investing experience. So from all your years of experience, what would be the, the biggest tip that you can leave us with? Take direction from those who you want to be like, not people that are just trying to help you like your parents, if they are not in your position. So I take my advice from those that are doing what I want to be doing. Good advice. Very good. Sarah, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. It's always a pleasure. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks very much. And hopefully we can see you soon as well. Sounds good. Take care. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. Be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries, about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.